Hello and welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. On today's episode, moderator Glenn Whip interviews writer-director Sean Baker, writer-producer Chris Bergosh, and cinematographer Alexis Zabe to discuss their new film, The Florida Project. Hello everybody, thanks for coming. So this, this movie started like five years ago, as I understand yeah. it with a drive, Chris, that you were taking to visit your mother in Florida, right? Yeah, she just relocated down to Orlando, so I would go visit her a bunch of times and drive down US 192. And uh, and then one day, I just happened to be at a red light, noticed a bunch of children in a parking lot at one of the motels playing wiffle ball, and just kind of, it went from there. I started, they didn't look like tourists, was the thing. Um, and there was a bunch of uh, kids having lots of fun in the parking lot. And, much similar to the kind of fun I would have with my friends, uh, but uh, against a very different backdrop. And so I r- realized, you know, when we, we sort of started Google searching, this is happening all over America, but th- there was some sort of uh, pulling of my heartstrings that this was happening in the shadow of the most magical place on earth in Cinderella's castle. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, five years ago, we're talking, you know, this is when the country was having the financial meltdown. Things were going bad. People were losing jobs. People were losing their homes. So um, you guys start talking about maybe this could be a place where you could set a movie and 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 look at this. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Chris started sending me articles that local media had uh, had written and uh, focusing on this juxtaposition. You know, as he just said, children living outside of the place that we consider the. The, the happiest place on earth for them. And um, we, we wrote up a treatment. We were trying to actually uh, find financing to allow us to begin a research process, but we couldn't seem to find it. We knew that w- this wasn't going to be a micro-budget film. It was going to be a low-budget film, but because of travel, et cetera, uh, we, we couldn't find finance. I mean, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't get uh, financing for this low-budget film. So we went ahead and made Tangerine, which was micro-budget. Oh, cool, thanks. <laughs> and um, thank you, guys. And that um, actually opened the doors for us. And uh, June Pictures approached us, um, and they're, they're actually here. Wonderful June Pictures, June Pictures. who, who uh, believed in us by just reading our first treatment. And then um, we had actually uh, also had, had, we had found um, some, a grant from CineReach to allow us to start to start this, uh, the, our travel there, because we, that's how we do this. We, we, we had the simple idea of a mother and daughter, but that's all we knew. We had to find out more by actually going. And so um, we, we took trips there. We were in a very journalistic approach, actually um, interviewing people, meeting people, the residents, the local business owners, the managers, agencies, nonprofits that actually you know, provided social services to the homeless in that area. And, um, and yeah, and uh, this, uh, we knew the summer of 2016 was approaching quickly, and so, uh, and we wanted to shoot during the summer. We didn't want to take kids out of school. We wanted to uh, shoot over the summer, and that's... Being responsible. I guess you could say that. And so, uh, yeah, and it all led to us shooting this film uh, a year ago, well, last summer, last summer, actually. And and did you find the Magic Castle on one of those first trips to, um, to the area? I think I might have been location scouting this movie to some extent since I was four. I, I would go down there with my family, and uh, the Magic Castle's been there for a while. It's an orange world. I remember when I was a little guy uh, going there. So we had a list of locations that we wanted to, uh, you know, because I mean, they're outside of the 
castle, but to them, it's even better. They're living in their own castle. How cool is that? All the small businesses there uh, have targeted the same tourists that are going to the parks. So they are using the mythology of Disney. They're using basically the same themes to attract the same tourists. So, so uh, they were once booming. Then they got hit by the recession of 08. And then something that was like the Magic Castle, which was a tourist motel, became more of a welfare motel. And, um, and so, so, yeah, that's... Did they require any convincing to allow you to film there? Our wonderful, um, our wonderful um, UPM, unit, uh, unit production manager, um, she, uh, Jennifer Radikowski, uh, was also helping us locking down to lock down locations, and she approached, approached the owner. Sorry if I'm slurring, guys. I'm like really, I'm really yeah, tired from this yeah. press tour. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just came from New York this morning. Um, so um, basically, uh, no, we, we, they, they read our script. They understood what we were trying to do, um, and uh, they approved of it. And I have to say, uh, David, the owner of Magic Castle, is incredibly generous to allow us to shoot there. And and we never closed down their business. We said we're going to, you know, work around your business. We won't interfere. We won't interfere with customers. And um, yeah. So. And also, we should mention Stefanik Youth dressed it uh, to look a little bit more, you know, weathered and worn. Uh, than it actually Perhaps is. So what it was a couple of years ago, because they're also in a stage. We we were, we we caught this during a transitional time. You know, the local government is is trying to. There's a beautification process going on in which there's um, they're basically in, enforcing. Uh, you know, they're they're asking local businesses to step it up and to, you know, to to make their their place look more presentable along Route 192. Uh, so yeah. How did you, I mean, I know you like to cast your movies with, with non-professionals, with people who, who aren't actors, um, which, which led, I guess, some trepidation even to put Willem Dafoe in this movie, right? Well, I, I, actually, I like to mix it up. I always like to sort of combine my seasoned actors with first-timers and then non-professionals. I never like to call my first-timers non-professionals because what happens is that it, it, it doesn't... Um, it actually hurts them moving forward in the industry. And, and as you can see, all of my first timers have the talent. Now they have the acting bug. They have all managers. And they're going to have a career ahead. So I don't like to say non-professionals because actually sometimes the industry thinks, oh, does that mean unprofessional? You know, or it's a one-off. But no, as you can see, Bria, Mela, the rest of them, they are, they are, they are now full-fledged actors. So. But, but, but regarding um, that, yeah, I like to mix it up. Um, it's very important to me. I, I think it's, there's, some sort of, there's some great chemistry that happens when, when the method of a seasoned actor will rub off on, on the, on the first-timer and then the, the first-timer's naivete or freshness. There will be something that influences and, and, and excites the seasoned actor. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's that. But finding these first-timers, I mean, you're going to all different, it's not just a casting call. You're looking on Instagram, you're going to, you found somebody at Target, right? You're yeah, we, we, we try to mix it up. You know, now you have all these, you have social media, which social media can help you out. Um, but we had a conventional, we went the conventional route too. Carmen Cuba here in town, um, you know, brought us some of our, you know, Willems and uh, Caleb Landry Jones, but then, but then, um, locally, we had a local casting company by the name of CrowdShot. So they had a database of of children in the area. Plus, they did their own casting call to anybody, to kids from all the counties, saying, "Look, bring your kids in. They don't need prior experience." 
we're just uh, looking for great personas. Then we have an element of street casting. Uh, from CrowdShot, Patty Wiley was a wonderful street caster and found a lot of locals so that we could actually employ and cast people from, you know, some of the residents from the motels and the local community. And then I do my own street casting. I found Valeria uh, in a Target one night, you know, her red hair, just, I was like, oh my gosh. And I went up to the mother, and I, uh, her mother, Eve, and I said, uh, we're having a local, um, we're having auditions for an independent film, here's my card. She came in and won us over in seconds. And then, yeah, the social media aspect. I found uh, Bria Benate on Instagram. You know, we were thinking of, at first, you know, looking for an established name for Haley. Um, but something kept telling me that that might take the audience out for this. This character is dealing with some struggles and some issues that I think that you see a little pop star up there or you see a, a, an A-lister, it might just pull you out. Plus, plus I really like fresh faces in cinema. And I, and I, I um, so I kept going back to Bria's Instagram page. I don't, don't ask me, I don't know how I came across it. Somebody must have reposted it. I was following them and, and she, she was just making me laugh. You know, Instagram also has video on it. So she had these little things that were just making me laugh. I could see that she was already putting herself out there. So she had the confidence, she had the physicality. And I said, come on down to Orlando and, and audition with these kids. And the second she was with Brooklyn, it was like, okay, that, there's mom and daughter right there. And, um, and so uh, she was holding her own within uh, four weeks with Mr. Willem Dafoe, yeah. I mean, did you hear the story, though, that she almost didn't get on the plane to go down to Orlando? Oh, she thought I was a crazy, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, I mean. <laughs> I mean, know, she, she was like, I, I don't know if I can do this, right? I mean, she oh, was like also scared. her. Well, okay, she was very enthusiastic, but she knew she was like she was very green and she was very realistic about this. She said, "I need some hand holding," and you know, I was already um, uh, was working with an acting coach, Samantha Kwan, who's right over there, and she worked with the children um, uh, and did obviously an incredible job with the children. But I said, "I think Bria needs help too," so she brought Bria under her wing and. Um, and Mela as well. So um, we in that in those few weeks, three to four weeks leading up to production, it was like a hardcore boot camp on acting. You know, four years of acting school in a month, and um, every day workshops and exercises, and yeah, and really getting Bria to the place where she got into this character every day, understood the character, even to the point where I could ask her to improvise, and she would. I mean, all of these actors are incredible at improvisation and comedic improvisation, as well. I think Tangerine, known for a lot of things, great movie. But if you ask anyone, oh, that was the movie that was shot on an iPhone, you know. For this, um, you and Alexis, uh, you're going 35 millimeter. Yes. Um, and very, um, very classically composed widescreen shots. How did you guys come up with that? What was the thinking? I mean, this movie is so gorgeous, so beautiful, um, which is, uh, well, well, let's, but let's talk about the way you shot this. Mm, I guess, for, to start with, like, the first time I met Sean about the project, he was very, you know, come to, came up to me and said, let's do this in 35. I was a bit taken aback. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> but um, it makes sense in a way. To, we wanted to make a, a, a film, and... We want to make a film with all that implied, I guess, right? And that means a big camera and, you know, the classic way of doing, of shooting a film. Um, we also wanted to stay very, very true to trying to see the world through the 
eyes of children. So this is kind of like our interpretation or what we kind of remember of what it was like, you know, to see the world when we were six or seven years old. Colors are a little bit more poppy. Um, things don't quite look as dirty or as you don't notice those things as much. You know, things are still magic and things are still beautiful and, you know, there's a certain ingenuity to it all. Um, so, you know, I guess that was a basic premise, you know, be behind our, our, our aesthetic for the film. You know, then came whatever technical tests and we, um, you know, figured out a way to make colors pop a little bit more, to you try to get that floored up heat, you know, the skin tones, everybody's a little bit tanned, everybody's sweating. So we're just trying to get all that and make it look real, but make it look a little bit above real as well, mm. you know. So give that kind of like childlike awe in the look of things. And it was a kind of a fine line to walk. I don't know, I think we walked it, you know, but yeah. Yeah, I heard uh, there was a quote from you where you were saying the look of the movie was like blueberry ice cream with a lemon sorbet twist. Yeah. And that's, yeah, like, that's yeah. it. That's man. what he said to me at one point. I was like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get that on screen, then yeah, sure, sure. But not, not typically the way you see um, poverty portrayed on, on in film, yeah. depicted in film. Yeah, well, once again, it was about, as he just said, it was about almost uh, having the audience uh, in, in the, having their senses acute, acute like the way they were when you're a child. Again, like a heightened sentence to, uh, senses to a certain degree. Yeah. How, how this movie walks such an interesting line between the adventures the kids are having, the, the, the joy, and then there's just the desperation that's going on in the background and, and often in the foreground too. Mm. Um, well, it was important, um, okay, so I, I'm also very influenced and inspired by The Little Rascals. That's been seriously a, something that has inspired my entire career, Hal Roach's Our Gang. And if you think about what those were, they were these comic shorts set against, uh, in from the 20s and 30s, set against the Great Depression. Most of the characters in our gang were, were living in poverty, but the focus was the joy of childhood, was the humor, the you know the humorous adventures of these children, and 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 focusing on you know their their imagination and their 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 resilience, innocence, etc. So. Chris and I use that as sort of the model in a way, where we wanted to say perhaps this could be the present day Little Rascals. Yes, we're dealing with very serious issues here, and we want the audience to go home at the, at the end of the night, hopefully, guys, and thinking about the real Moonies and the real Haley's out there. Um, but during the 90 minutes leading up to that, the inevitable drama, we also want the audience to, to be entertained. This is an entertainment medium, and we want audiences to be perhaps thinking about the summers of their youth and laughing with Mooney and, and being one of their gang, being one of the gang, um, so that it actually it, it leaves you thinking a little bit more about the real Moonies when you go home. Now, and what we're trying to do, we're, we, you know, we would like to get the message out there that this isn't just an Orlando Kissimmee problem. This is a national problem. It's happening very, actually very close by. We have uh, two areas very close by, out in San Bernardino and down in the OC, and in Anaheim. And um, this is, uh, and we're, we're encouraging audiences, if you're so inclined, um, look into it in your own community. It might be right under your nose. You know, I had no idea uh, about, I didn't even know there was a term, the hidden homeless. Uh, I didn't uh, know of this concept until, until Chris brought it to my attention. And so it's out there, it's right under our nose, and we need, you know, we need housing. We need housing, we need, you know, housing is a fundamental human right, and we need, um, 
we need to work together if the federal government isn't making it happen. Uh, you know, I th I, 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 shining a light on it is the first step, and then hopefully getting um, people motivated to, for some change is the second. Let's, uh, let's take a few questions from you guys. Anybody have anything that they want to ask? I see a hand right in the middle there. And for yeah. such a great film, and I just want to know how do you guys structure the story, especially with the sense how you're not overtly stating like uh, the arcs of the characters. You let it go very subtle. Like, so I just want to know how you organize that in like a treatment or a screenplay. Um, you know, there's there's lots of uh, there's lots of thought that goes into it to make it look like there's not a lot of thought that goes into that. And um, Sean, one one of his mandates was he you know he wanted the story to feel like we were hanging out with these characters for an entire summer. And so that was a challenge for me at first. I was like, how are we gonna do the traditional three act structure and, uh, and, and, and pull that off? And then you have to sort of step, I love creating stories with Sean because you, know, you can throw out all the rules and you can just sort of focus on characters that you hopefully are gonna care about in some way. And I think that for, for me and for you, character comes before story. And so in that, in that case, actually we did write scenes for safety purposes mm -hmm. and we actually shot them, you know, more expositional scenes, scenes that had more to do with the adults and even more procedural type scenes near the end to show how child welfare services would, would go down. Very almost law and order type CSI mm -hmm. type of scenes that we shot and we have all the details in there, but uh, I'm also the editor of my own film. So in post, I was, I was playing with these and every time we got close to them, even though they were well acted and fun and whatever, and they, and they had exposition, um, the minute that we got too far away from the children, it wasn't working. So we took these scenes out and put scenes that one might consider uh, extraneous in. So the kids dancing on the bed doesn't exactly move the story forward, but again, it allows us time to be living and hopefully dancing on the bed with those kids. You know? And that was what Sean just mentioned, uh, the biggest challenge is how do we keep telling the story from the child's, the children's per perspective? And there were scenes like that Brazilian scene that we almost lost with the Brazilians checking in and the mix up there. But you know, then you figure out clever ways to sort of um, incorporate the kids and we love the idea that they wanted to get some tips there. And, and so lots of scenes we lost based on b keeping it from grounded in the child's POV. How much, how much footage did you have when you were starting to, to put it together? Um, I, I couldn't, I, in terms of, uh, no, I mean, no, 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 no. I think actually when I, uh, my, my shooting ratio is pretty much always the same, whether it's digital or film. It's just that um, it actually ran a little longer than we thought it was gonna be. It was, we thought it was gonna fall around 100 minutes and it's about, it's 150 something. So yeah, um, yeah, not, not much more. Right here. Um, brilliant film. I'm just curious, the ending, how did you steal that? And to what degree did Disney give you the, their permission, or did you just say, you know what, we're going to just make this happen? Just in case you couldn't hear, yeah, he's asking about the ending. Was it Disney approved and sanctioned? Well, let me say one thing about the ending is that the story evolved over five years and lots of stuff changed, but we always knew we, were, we had to go there. And that was the one thing that did stay constant was, was how do we evolve it but keep that, that ending that we always saw in our heads. And, um, yeah, and we had to yeah. resort to my guerrilla tactics of the past and use uh, an iPhone. Um, 
And, but also I have to say that I, I think that it's important to point out that this isn't disparaging towards Disney and we're not pointing fingers. To tell you the truth, during our research, pro we went down there thinking it might be that. During our research process, we found out that you know there, the, the community is, is working hard to help eradicate homelessness in that area. You have the local government working with agencies, working with philanthropists, and working with the private sector. Disney itself gave $500,000 to the Homeless Impact Fund last year. So this is something bigger. This is, uh, that's why I mentioned the federal government earlier. And this is something that, um, again, is not, is not supposed to be disparaging towards Disney. So it's the ending, it's a little ambiguity going on there. There is, there is. So what, what, do, you think this it, what do you think, like, yeah, uh, that's uh, is it taking place? Is it real or is it imaginary? What do you guys think? Imaginary? Oh, wow. Wow. That's in uh, about half and half. All right. Like How many that's, of you thought exactly Dorothy we went want. to Oz? Because I think he, his interpretation is even slightly different than mine. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> But that's the cool part about it. I mean, I would love for audiences to be discussing it on the way home. Uh, right here. Yes. Go ahead. No. I'm, you're, to yes. what extent uh, was the children's dialogue uh, written, and to what extent was it uh, created by the children themselves? Okay. Um, to, what, to what extent was the children's dialogue written versus them just kind of creating it, it, it on their own? Okay, yeah, so we had a full-length screenplay with dialogue. There were a few scenes that we knew we were going to be shooting almost in a completely improvisational way, such as the perfume scene. So in the script it says, we are shooting this like a candy camera, a candy camera style. Our actors will interact with real, real pedestrians and try to sell perfume. Here are a few sample lines, like the Bieber line. But that's the extent of it. And then my two wonderful actresses went out there and actually did it, and we did it with a telephoto lens across that parking lot. Um, so that's one example. But then we did have very, you know, some scenes we didn't want to deviate at all from the written word. Not that we were precious, but sometimes it was exposition we wanted out in lines that we actually liked that we wrote. Uh, but, um, uh, but an example of where there's almost like a back and forth or like a combo is, is the scene where the ice cream drips on the floor. So that was obviously a set piece where it was very deliberate back and forth and those lines were all written and the kids of course learned all their lines and delivered them, but I always allowed them to loosen, to be free. So, and Brooklyn is incredible. I mean, she really has that gift. And, um, and, and she's so talented that she knows when her lines will work and when they won't. So for example, that, that was basically uh, word for word scripted and shot that way, and then at the end, Willem goes, thank you very much, and Brooklyn goes, you're not welcome, and that, that was the moment of improv in that scene. So it really always, it depends. And then of course, you know, um, her eating at the end, that was basically me documenting little Brooklyn Prince. She loves to eat. <laughs> we had lines for her. She got through those in a couple of seconds, and then we were shooting on a thousand foot mag, so it's 10 minutes of rolling just on her eating, and we would play with her. And Chris is on set as a writer as well, so we're on set writing in the moment with her and feeding her lines when we're inspired. Um, hey, uh, take that strawberry and take that raspberry, put them in your mouth together and tell me what it tastes like. And, and she'll come up with great stuff, and then we'll sometimes, you know, uh, 
Yeah, so that's, oh, her pregnant line? That's all her. That's oh, yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> and, and also, just one other thing, like you mentioned before, Samantha Kwan was such a great help because a lot of times, you know, you had them memorize the script, but a lot of times that was the way to give them the freedom to then run free with it and just keep it on story. But But if they were to you know, do the lines as scripted. In some cases, it just wouldn't have felt real, you know? And, and, and thanks, Sam, for And also, for Brooklyn doing Prince your magic. is truly on a whole other level. I mean, she really is. Was, that performance is real. I didn't have to manipulate it in any way in editing. I put her in the same camp as Mickey Rooney and Jodie Foster. I mean, I, it's, it was incredible to, to watch her work and to be holding her own with Willem Dafoe, and then just, and also just, uh, she's just a beautiful human being, so full of uh, caring, and and uh, when, now she's been traveling with us doing the press tour, and you know, she's, and, and to hear her speak about, you know, knowing about children in this situation, and, and she speaks from the heart, and she talks about the local agency there along Route 192 called Hope 192, and she's, she gets the word out for them, and it's it's really she's just a incredible. With a, I know she has a bright career ahead of her. Yeah, she's six years old when six she years old. This. Yes, six yeah. years old. That's insane. I'm honored to have worked with her. Um, okay, right here. Uh, just firstly, just want to say I love the Greg the Bunny uh, oh, shout, wow. shout out. That was amazing. Uh, shout out to myself. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, secondly, just with shoot with with not shutting the hotel down. Shooting on film, shooting with the limited schedules of child actors. Yeah. Uh, how long was the schedule, and what unique challenges did that present in trying to juggle all of those things? Um, Thirty-five days of shooting. Um, yes, limited hours, especially because we found out when Jancy came in, she wasn't six, she was five, and that cuts an extra two hours off, but we knew that she was good enough to make our schedule work for her. You know, I just had a wonderful group of producers, group of uh, my, my, my crew. I, at first, I learned a lot of lessons about communicating to a big crew who don't, doesn't understand my style sometimes, but um, at the same time, people were ready to jump on board and go with it. Like, sometimes we would be inspired to shoot something off schedule and everything, everyone would all departments would have to, you know, quickly uh, just scramble to make it happen. And everybody really was there and work at, yeah, um, do you have any? I, the, the 35, people keep bringing that up. And even at first, I thought it would be a hindrance. But, to, you know, they talk about the discipline that happens when you're on set. And with film, that's, you, you hear the money burning through that camera. And, you, and saying it to the kids, it actually worked. It's like, when that camera goes on, that is money burning right there. You guys better step it up. And they did. And actually, I think it actually helped with the kids, to tell you the truth. Yeah. It's funny. There, you say that about you know, learning to communicate with the crew. There was, a, there was kind of a dramatic headline I, was, I came across. Which was a little a blown little, out of proportion, yes. So, sometimes these headlines can be, but it was yeah. saying that Sean Baker almost lost crew and movie during production. So it, was it was a dramatic production, but all, all productions are. And again, that had all to do with me and not to do with anybody else. It was just uh, because I come from a movie like Tangerine where there's five of us running around Santa Monica and Highland with an iPhone wearing literally ten hats each, and then suddenly going into this on a union crew and expecting 45 people to just quickly follow me to the other side of the parking lot because I like the cranes over there. You know, that's, that's going to... That's that, there was a learning curve, so for everybody, so that's all it was. That's a, that's blown out of proportion. Yeah, I have a lovely group of producers who and and uh, who I want to work with my team again. There, I, I love my team. Yeah. 
Was there a point where you were, I mean, but were you wondering a weekend or so, like, am I going to be able to get a movie out of this when I get back to the editing room? Were you ever nervous? It, the first week and a half, yes, plenty of fear. Well, there was, it, it was chaotic. It's a chaotic shoot. But all my films are chaotic, right? So that's it. But um, I think something happened about a week and a half in that really took the weight off of our shoulders. And that was shooting that last scene with Brooklyn Prince. We were shooting out of order and we shot that scene in which she really had to get her crying scene. And, and it was that when we saw the level that she took it, it was like, we're, we have something special here. There's something, she's incredible and we're, we're working on a, you know, this is worth fighting for. And that, I think that got everybody really I think that's my interpretation. I don't know about you guys, but I, I think that that's what the moment where everybody was just like, this is, this is working. It really is a special movie. And thank you. Thank you uh, so much for coming tonight. Thank um, you so much. And if you like the film, film, please spread the word. Um, thank you, guys. Thank you thank for you supporting so Opening Weekend. It means everything. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Q&A podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, or if you want to watch the video of this recording, head over to our YouTube page where you can find this episode and many more.